Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Uh, last week, we started a, a new sermon series called Praying the Psalms. And uh, we've uh, structured this series based on some of the work of biblical scholar Walter Brueggemann, uh, who observes that there's this major um, movement within the Psalms, and that all of the Psalms, generally speaking, fit within one of these three patterns of Psalms of orientation, psalms of disorientation, or psalms of orienta- new orientation. And he says the, the beautiful part of this is that this isn't some sort of abstract idea, um, but as we think about the movements and the seasons of our lives, um, we find ourselves somewhere on the spectrum of orientation to disorientation to new orientation. And so as we read the psalms, we're, we're almost reading our own experience within them. Now, last week, uh, I ended with uh, an invitation for us to, to pray Psalm 1 uh, each day and to allow the psalm of orientation to um, uh, uh, shape our eschatological imagination or our, our imagination of where we think things are headed. Um, so before we jump into today's sermon, uh, I wanted to open up some space here, and if anybody had uh, any sort of observation or some sort of experience that they had uh, this week praying Psalm 1, um, I'd invite you to, to share. And if not, that's okay. But you know that this is coming next week. So uh, if something uh, pops into your mind throughout the week, uh, maybe log it in the back of your brain. And uh, if you'd be willing to, to share that with us next week, uh, we'll, we'll have some space for that as well. So, all right. Well, uh, before we jump into uh, this morning's uh, message, let's pause for a word of prayer. Loving God, we are uh, grateful for this chance to, to be together. Thanks for the gift of technology um, that can unite us in this, uh, unite and bring us together in this uh, strange season that we find ourselves in. God, uh, as we uh, turn to the scriptures and and wrestle with them, uh, we acknowledge that your spirit is here among us in our various homes, uh, somehow drawing us together. And God, uh, we invite your spirit to uh, lead us and guide us and shape us and form us. Uh, as we we wrestle through the scriptures and uh, all of this with the ultimate goal of being shaped and formed into the image of Jesus. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as I've uh, mentioned before, um, my dad died when I was 15 and my mom died when I was 17. As I've also mentioned before, um, after my parents died, it felt like my entire world had been turned upside down which is a really unfortunate cliche. Um, but as I think back to that season following their, their death, um, it's really the only accurate description that I can come up with. Um, because when you think about like the loss of a, a parent or a loss of parents, particularly within uh, the season of adolescence, um, like this is a, a loss of like immense magnitude. So when I lost my parents, it wasn't that I just lost two people in my life, but I, I lost my parents, which meant that I lost like my caregivers. Uh, it meant that I lost um, uh, like the source of wisdom in my life as I was navigating uh, who I was becoming and thinking through uh, what type of person I wanted to become. 
Uh, it meant that I lost my home, which was a way of like losing my rhythms and rituals and traditions for the last 15 and 17 years of my life. Uh, it meant that I was losing my school, so all of my friends, all of my teachers, all of my coaches, all of the extracurriculars that like filled my life with joy. Like to say that I lost my parents is to say that like my world was turned upside down because when I lost my parents, and in a way, like I lost my identity. I lost this, the source of who I thought I was and my understanding of who I was. Now, adding to the complexity of this like immense loss was this inability to like put into words or express all that I was feeling, all of my emotions, all of the thoughts that I was having during the season. And so I had all of these deep and strong emotions as I was processing the loss of my parents. And yet, like, I lacked the ability to put it into words and express and, like, let this thing that was bubbling up deep within my soul out. This past week, I was talking to one of my friends who uh, has a number of young kids. And he was saying that over Christmas, they got together with uh, some extended family for a significant period of time. And uh, this, is, uh, this was the first time that they had gotten together since like the pandemic broke. And this is a, a family that normally spends a lot of time together. And he said when they came home, like everybody, the parents and the kids as well, began to like put together the reality that they probably won't see family again for like another six months. And he said um, his kids responded in a variety of ways. One got really angry the rest of the day and the other one just kind of withdrew. And he said... You know, they're kids. They don't, they don't know how to express that. And I thought to myself, yeah, they're kids, but I also don't know if I really have the ability to express those deep and strong emotions within myself. Um, so as you think about your life and, and the, 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 the events or the experiences that cause these deep and strong emotions to bubble up, um, maybe it's some sort of loss in your life, like the loss that I had with my parents uh, maybe it was a loss of a loved one or a loss of a relationship or a loss of a job. And as you try and process what life looks like now, given this loss, that it, it causes these deep and strong emotions to bubble up from the depths of your soul. Um, or maybe the source of these deep and strong emotions like, has nothing to do with a loss per se, um, but deals with something different in your life. So maybe entering into a new season of life, maybe parenthood or retirement, and uh, you're beginning to process like what life looks like now. What, what sort of meaning and purpose does my life have? And as you're navigating this, um, this different season, there's, it causes these deep and strong emotions to arise from these questions that we're asking. Um, or maybe uh, these deep and strong emotions arise because of news of current events in our city, our nation, our world, or maybe news that's shared to us from a family member. And as we hear this news, we recognize like, this wasn't what I was thinking. <laughs> this wasn't what I expected. This wasn't what I was hoping for. And this news reminds us that things just aren't quite right and just in our world. These deep and strong emotions can come from anything that, that seems to knock us off our balance, knock us off of our equilibrium, remind us that things don't always fit into a nice and clean and proper place in the world, that things not, aren't always quite right and just like we would hope. And I think we can call these moments or these seasons in our life a moment or a season of disorientation. A moment where there isn't like a clear, like uh, guiding North Star in our life where things just seem to be like off kilter just a bit. And again, one of the complexities that gets added to, these season, to the season of disorientation is that we often uh, lack the ability to put these thoughts and feelings and emotions into words. 
And it's here that I think the beauty of scripture steps in. And more than just scripture as a whole, I think specifically the Psalms, and more than just the Psalms as a whole, I think specifically the Psalms of disorientation. And I think the beauty of the Psalms of disorientation is that um, they, they give us the ability uh, to put these thoughts and feelings and emotions and experiences into words. And it's not even anything that we have to muster up the strength to do because these words are provided for us and are words that have been prayed for generation upon generation upon generation. So this morning, uh, I want us to spend some time looking at um, uh, uh, these psalms of disorientation and wrestling through these psalms of uh, disorientation. And to do that, uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm 13. So we're going to read Psalm 13 uh, one more time here. And uh, I I hope you pick up why this is labeled a psalm of disorientation as we read it. The psalmist writes, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death and my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So I hope that like you, you pick up the disorientation here, right? Like this is somebody who is obviously experiencing some sort of pain, some sort of suffering, some sort of injustice in their life. And they are crying out from the depths of their soul to God. Now, Psalm 13 is like the epitome of what we might call like the, the Psalms of disorientation. Um, So it's helpful as we think through the Psalms of Disorientation as a whole. Um, Now, within these Psalms of Disorientation, there's a few common components within them. The first one is like this aggressive accusation of God. (laughs) Like notice that the the psalmist here in Psalm 13 like doesn't hold back, but comes out like guns ablazing here, right? Like how long, oh God, how long will you hide your face from me? Like, the psalmist here is speaking as if, like, God is responsible for the pain and suffering and injustice in their life. Which raises, like, a really important question. Like, is God to blame for the pain and suffering and injustice in the psalmist's life? Like, does the, is, is the pain and suffering and injustice that the psalmist is experiencing, is this coming directly from the hand of God? And then, in turn, does that mean that the pain and suffering and injustice that we experience in our lives... Does this come directly from the hand of God? Well, as we read Psalm 13 um, and the other Psalms of Disorientation, it becomes quickly apparent that I, I don't know that the psalmist has the capacity to like wax eloquently about grand theological truths. <laughs> like I don't know that this is the, the first thing that the psalmist is thinking about is, well, does evil actually come from God? <laughs> I don't know that the psalmist actually has the capacity to like uh, speak to these deep theological truths, but rather uh, I think it's a bit more like a, a parent who walks into a room that has been completely destroyed by their children. <laughs> and the parent looks around and each kid starts doing this thing, right? <laughs> he did it, she did it, and the parent cuts him off and says, I don't care who did it, just clean it up. <laughs> And I think this is what the psalmist is getting at here. Like the psalmist is approaching God with this conviction that God is really, really big and that God holds all things together in God's hands and that there is some sort of pain and suffering and injustice in the life of the the psalmist. And the psalmist here 
recognizes that whether it comes directly from God's hand or, or whether it's just being experienced while being held in the hands of God, that God is somehow responsible for what is happening. And so the psalmist comes out guns a-blazing and lets God have it and accuses and puts the blame on God. But then we move into the, the second common component, and that is we see like these impatient imperatives in here, right? We see the psalmist moving from accusing God to now like, not just like politely asking God things, not saying like, God, if it fits into your schedule or, you know, if it's not too big of an inconvenience for your divinity to help me. The psalmist here moves into like these demands of God. The psalmist says, consider me, answer me, give light to me. The psalmist here isn't like politely asking God to do things because again, the psalmist here recognizes that God is big enough to hold all things together in the hands of God. And the psalmist here is putting God in the place of, uh, is holding God responsible for what is happening and is demanding that God do something about it. But then we come to this like strange twist at the end. (laughs) And it ends with like this peculiar sort of praise where where the psalmist writes, but but I trusted in your steadfast love. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, in the moments where I've like let God have it <laughs> and demanded things of God, this isn't like my natural impulse to end with, but thanks be to God, right? <laughs> so what gives? Um, well, commentators have suggested that there may be like three main hypotheses here. The first one is that the, the psalmist here uh, has like... Uh, prayed this psalm to a priest or some sort of like religious figure uh, on behalf of God. So uh, they're, they're praying, they're letting the psalmist have it uh, and trusting that God will hear it. And, the, and then the priest then offers some sort of words of assurance. After letting the, the, the priest have it, they say, God has heard your prayer. And this is almost like a liturgical response of like, but thanks be to God. Um, the second uh, hypothesis here is that the, the psalmist is looking back with a long view. That right now their life is a mess. Right now they're experiencing pain and suffering and injustice. But as they look back with a long view on their life, there are these key moments, these key details in their life, these key turning points where God has shown up and proven God's self to be trustworthy or faithful. And so while things are a mess now, they're able to look back and say, but God, I, I trust you in this because you've proven yourself to be trustworthy. Or my favorite is the third one. It was just written later. <laughs> the psalmist like wrote out all of this fire in their journal and then set it off to the side and then came back to it days, weeks, months, years later after the situation had been resolved and then begins to reflect on the goodness and the faithfulness of God. So these are some of the common components of these psalms of disorientation or what we might call even psalms of lament. Now, a few observations about these. Uh, again, particularly as we think about utilizing them in a life of faith for ourselves. The first one is, yes, you can talk to God like that. <laughs> Which I know may seem a bit surprising. Um, because when we think about talking to God or praying to God, we often think that we have to come to God with with all of our stuff together, right? We have to come to God with these like uh, nice, polite, religious pietistic words of like sounding like the King James, right? God, we come to you and ask the, these sorts of things, right? And I, I think these Psalms remind us that we, we don't have to do that. 
Like we don't have to have our act together. We don't have to have everything put together in a neat, tidy sort of prayer. But rather we can come to God and let God have the fire in our belly. To let God have the pain and the suffering and the injustice that we're feeling. And in fact, like one of the beautiful things of the Psalms is that like, it appears that there's some sort of dialogue happening with God. That not only are they sharing things with God, but there's an expectation that God will respond in some way. And it seems as though like throughout these psalms that, that God is welcoming this, that God longs for this, that God doesn't just want the, the good and the beautiful parts of our lives, but God wants it all, that God wants even the ugly um, and the bad parts of our life, that God longs for all of us. The second observation is um, these psalms of lament um, show us that like lamenting doesn't equal like a lack of faith. Oftentimes when we think of like complaining or expressing some sort of frustration with God, it seems as though like maybe we're not trusting God, right? Maybe you've even heard that in, in a church somewhere, that, that to question God is to, um, to have a lack of faith. Well, uh, scholar uh, Walter Brueggemann comments on this tendency of, of uh, labeling lamenting as a lack of faith. He writes, it's my judgment that this action of the church is less a defiance guided by faith and founded in the good news and much more a frightened, numb denial and deception that does not want to acknowledge or experience the disorientation of life. <laughs> and what he's saying here is like, it, it's not so much that we think that uh, lamenting is a lack of faith, but we're scared to acknowledge that things may not be right and just in the world. And we're scared of what that will do to us if we acknowledge that. And so instead, Brueggemann actually goes on and says that to lament is, is to witness to a bold faith. Because when we lament, we're acknowledging that like God can handle it. <laughs> that we can come to God with the fire in our belly. That we can let God have it. And that God is big enough to hold it all. And that God loves us enough to hear the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. That God wants it all. And that God will not shun us and, sh- and turn God's face away from us if we pour out all of that lament to God. Now, as we uh, think about the seasons of disorientation in our life, um, I think the, the Psalms of disorientation have an awful lot to teach us. And I think maybe the primary thing that they can teach us is that, um, that as we approach these seasons, that we don't uh, deny the disorientation, but rather we declare it. That we don't deny it, that we don't dismiss it, that we don't like push it down, that we don't ignore it but rather that we, we declare it, that we acknowledge it, that we draw attention to it. I don't know about you, but like, that's not my first response when things seem wrong in my life. <laughs> like, I, I actually want to like, just shove it under the rug and pretend like it doesn't ha- that it doesn't exist. But I think uh, what happens when we do that uh, is that in some way, like, we, there, there's a death within us in some way. Um, I think when we, when we deny the disorientation, that it causes us to live in a, like a, a world that doesn't actually exist. Because as we think about our world, we recognize that there are things that are unjust and uh, not right in our world. But instead, maybe we would do ourselves a, a, um, a favor by recognizing like God doesn't even keep God's self away from the disorientation. But when we look at the story of Jesus, we see God entering into the person of Jesus, entering into the disorientation of life, entering into the disorientation fully all the way to the cross where all of the disorientation in the world is poured out upon Jesus to the point of death. 
And yeah, we know the story ends in resurrection, but we can't get to resurrection unless we're willing to go through the disorientation first. Um, this is where uh, I think uh, we can draw some, some helpful advice from the work of uh, Brene Brown. Um, so Brene Brown has spent the bulk of her career researching uh, uh, us as people and the way that we function and the way that we're wired. And she uh, has something that she calls uh, TFTs, um, which stands for Terrible First Times. Now, full disclosure, uh, if you follow Brene Brown or if you go and look this up later, you will find that she has a much more like uh, adult uh, name for this. And this is her censored version. Um, so just full disclaimer of that, but we're calling it TFTs to keep it clean here. So TFTs, terrible first times. And she says that when we experience something that's new in our life, when we experience newness, that it's often interpreted as like something that's scary, something that's confusing, something that's unknown, and something that is disorienting or disrupting. And she says because it's scary or confusing or unknown or disorienting or disrupting, um, we often respond in a variety of ways, whether that be frustration, whether that be anger, whether that be an inability to make decisions, or whether that be a, a tendency to like give up and quit uh, as a whole. Now, I don't think we have to look too far to find like a collective TFT within this past year, right? Because <laughs> I don't know about you, but this is like the first pandemic that I've lived through. And so this feels like a very terrible first time for me. <laughs> And again, I don't know about you, but I've experienced the full gamut of like interpretation of this. Something that's scary, something that's confusing, something that's unknown, something uh, that's disorienting and disrupting. I've experienced the full gamut of like ways of responding with frustration or anger or an inability to make decisions and sometimes just wanting to like give it all up as a whole. Um, now, Brene Brown says that uh, one of the best ways that we can respond to these TFTs is to name it, <laughs> to, call, to look at it and call it a TFT, to declare it, to acknowledge it and bring attention to it. And she says, contrary to popular belief, to name it doesn't actually give the thing power, but instead it actually gives us power over this TFT. And she says that three things happen when we name it. Um, first of all, we normalize it. So with the pandemic, it's like, oh, this is my first pandemic. Th this is my first pandemic. This, this, is, this is my first pandemic. Okay, okay, now I know what we're talking about here. And then she says, um, it, it puts things into perspective. Okay, so this is my first pandemic. Um, I don't really know how to deal with this, right? Because it's my first time through this. So I don't know what it means to be me as a person. I don't know what it means to be uh, a husband. I don't know what it means to be a father. I don't know what it means to be a friend or a neighbor. And I don't actually know what it means to be a pastor in all of this either. <laughs> And then she says, then it begins to like check our expectations. Okay, so this is my first pandemic. I don't really know what I'm doing in all of this. So is it, really, um, is it realistic for me to expect that I'm going to be a flourishing human being in all of this? Probably not. <laughs> okay, well now I can begin to exist, right? Now I can begin to live my life and now I don't have to like feel as, as, as scared or confused or disoriented and I can begin to actually address what's happening right before me. So when we come to these seasons of disorientation, don't deny it, but instead declare it, name it, acknowledge it, draw attention to it because it moves us from like a passive victim into like a powerful protagonist in the story. It doesn't eliminate our problems, but it does allow us to approach them empowered. All right, now all of that brings us then to the, the merit or the value of praying these prayers of disorientation. And hopefully uh, 
the reason for that has become obvious by this point. Like if we find ourselves in a season of disorientation, the, the, the value or the merit of praying these psalms of disorientation is that it allows us to name it, to declare it. It gives us words and voice to like uh, express these thoughts and these feelings and emotions that we have deep within our souls. It allows us to not just keep denying it or dismissing it or sweeping it under the rug, but instead to bring it out in the open. And again, oftentimes, like, we, we lack the ability to, to name it, to put words to it, and that only continues to perpetuate these TFTs or these seasons of disorientation in our life. But here we have a gift of these words being offered to us. And when we can't muster up the courage or the strength to offer up words, these words can pray for us. Now, for the few of us that may not be experiencing some, some sort of disorientation right now, uh, I think there's an awful lot of merit and value for you too. And that is um, that it allows us to enter into solidarity with those who are experiencing disorientation. Because as we read these, we're reminded that orientation isn't the, the default MO of the universe. We're reminded that other people may be experiencing some sort of pain and suffering or injustice in their life. And as we pray these prayers, we can call to mind the faces, the places, and the situations where there is disorientation. And as we pray them, we can begin to enter into solidarity and pray on their behalf. So uh, once again, this week, I want to invite us uh, to spend some time each day uh, reading through Psalm 13. Uh, spend some time praying through Psalm 13. Spend some time like meditating on these words. And if you find yourself in a season of disorientation, my prayer for you would be, that this allows you to not deny it, but rather to declare it, to name it, to acknowledge it, um, and be able to like confront it head on. And if you're not experiencing a disorientation, that it would um, allow you to enter into solidarity with those of us who may be experiencing disorientation, and that it would uh, cause you to grow in like your empathy uh, towards those who may be experiencing some sort of pain or suffering or injustice in the world. Uh, let's pray. How long, O oh Lord, will you hide your face from us forever? God, it's been, uh, it's been a disorienting uh, few months. And God, it it sometimes feels like maybe you have hidden your face from us. But in the midst of that, God, um, we're grateful for the Psalms and we're grateful for the witness of generations who have cried out from the, the pain and suffering and injustice deep within their souls and have trusted that you will hear it and that you'll do something about it. And so, God, we, um, we trust these psalms to, to be a form for us, to be a model, to be a guide for us. And we echo their prayer of how long, O Lord. God, I pray um, as we enter into these psalms, as we enter into Psalm 13 this week, that this would allow us to, to not deny the disorientation that we may be experiencing, but but to declare it, to name it, to acknowledge it. And God, that your spirit would empower us to begin to, to move forward with this, 
to begin to, to confront it in meaningful ways so that we can begin to experience the resurrection, the wholeness that you long for us to experience. And God, I pray for uh, those of us who may not be in disorientation. God, would your spirit cause us to grow in empathy and in a desire for solidarity with our sisters and brothers who may be. God, we're grateful that you are a good God and that you hear our prayers. And God, we echo the words of the psalm that we trust in your unfailing love. And we ask that um, you respond to all that we may be feeling in this season. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.